0: Cool. Uh, well, thank you very much for, for joining us. Uh, the, the main topic of this presentation is about large and small organizations. I also have some surprise questions. And uh, I want to take a couple of questions from Twitter. So if you have anything that you want to ask, just tweet with the hashtag ProductCon, and I'll try to pick one or two at the end. Cool. Well, let's start by just telling us a little bit more about yourself. Uh, I would like to know who you are, but most importantly, your background, how you broke into product, and then what
1: in order. Hi, I'm Matt. Um, I'm originally from Seattle. I moved down here in 2010. I'm going to go fast. like We're going to go light speed. Uh, 2010, moved down here. I worked as a contractor at Google uh, as a recruiting coordinator for the sales and GA um, department. I then was converted to a full-time employee. Yay! Um, at a good time of hiring. I then moved into community management um, in the ConOps department. I was a community manager for several products, including Google Voice. Uh, if you have questions about these products, come feel free to ask me about it later. Uh, Google Voice, uh, I was calendar a brief period as well as blogger and Google News. Um, I then left Google to join um, a startup called Declara, uh, where I was there for uh, about a year and a half. I then moved into product management while I was at Declara. I had a great manager named Thomas. Hey, Thomas. Uh, he's not here, I'm just on the video. He may be watching, you never know. Uh, who asked if I w- if I, I was interested in, I said products. I moved into products. I've been doing that ever since. I then left to Clara and joined Banjo, where I'm at now, um, where I'm the lead product manager. So that's how I got into it.
2: Greetings. I'm Fred Radford, and I've been in product for quite some time. I actually founded an ISP in the... Early '90s, and as CEO, I soon found out that I was also doing the product management role. Uh, since then, I've done a lot of more startups with uh, a lot more useless stock certificates. So, all the you startup guys, and uh, moved on to doing product at uh, medium-sized companies and large companies like Time Warner Cable. Currently, I'm product manager at Eight by Eight, which is the uh, probably the most unknown of the billion-dollar market cap companies in the Valley you've probably ever heard of. So we do unified communications.
3: Hi, I'm Chris Painter. I actually started my career in Japan working for Sony and IBM developing laptops, and I was lucky enough to wall at Sony because I was probably the only American. They said, hey, we want to ship this product to the U.S., so we need someone's opinion on that, and that's kind of what led me into product management because they're like, wow, that was really good stuff. You know, Maybe we can have you help out some more. So that's what got me into product management, and then from there, I got kind of tired with the big company and did my own startup, uh, did that for, moved up into the Valley when I did that, uh, did that for a while, and then went back to Amazon, and then eventually at GoPro, and now um, back into the startup world doing autonomous delivery robots and cool stuff like that.
0: Cool. so my, my first question is actually for, for Chris. Uh, it's about hardware versus software. Of course, most of the talks that we've seen here today are related to software, but there's always an interesting overlap between software and hardware, and, and Chris has a lot of experience building physical and digital products. So I would like to know from your perspective what are some of the main differences and, and how you can connect both worlds, like on Amazon, uh, as you did with the Fire Stick TV, or with the GoPro. Yeah, I mean, it's... I, I think... <laughs> I mean, there's lots of, de- I mean,
3: hardware definitely is not one of those things like in the software world where you can, you know, we talk a lot here about lean processes and things that you can iterate on very quickly. The reality of the hardware world is not as 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 easy. I know that people have tried to take that approach, but at the end of the day, it takes time to build a, a physical product. And, you know, there's a lot of different types of processes that you have to do up front as opposed to quick and iterate iterate towards. Um and so it is often a challenge, and we, we, we dealt with this a lot, actually, especially at GoPro, where on one side of the company, we're, we're building cameras and physical products, and on the other side, I was in charge of all the digital software, the mobile apps, and the desktop applications, and how do you bring those together, and meshing a, an agile, you know, sort of process into something that is built on 18 months, you know, um, and there's definitely challenges, but it's It comes back to a lot of the same skills that I think a product manager has to have, which is communication, kind of over-communicating between the two teams, timing of things. Hey, even though it's agile, we're going to do a certain number of sprints to get to something. How do you line that sprint up with testing with a camera when it's ready to test, you know, and and doing things like that? And so um, definitely not easy, but uh, a lot of, you know, if you get that right, you know, then, you know, it, it can be a lot of
0: fun. All right, I don't know if you want to jump in, Fred, because your, your yeah, yeah. company has a lot of like hardware components it's about communications? Yeah, I mean,
2: the communications is obviously the key. I really haven't done a whole lot of hardware. I mean, the, the closest thing to hardware kind of is, uh, it was was open OpenWave, and so we embedded our software on all the Nokia phones back when Nokia was the phone company. So we had a lot of the same kind of 18-month development cycle. We might write our software and have to deal with it over an 18-month period. Um, But I I don't have a tremendous amount of uh, hardware experience on that, except for Mm -hmm. having that be like the long pole in every roadmap and decision that that we were making.
0: Something that comes up a lot is about, okay, your title says product something, could be head of product, could be VP of product, could be director of product, but obviously that really depends on the size of your company, right? I always say that in a startup, everybody's a VP. But in reality, you may not be managing anybody, right? So I want to touch upon this this point of, OK, what is the role of a product manager or a senior product manager when you are truly an individual contributor at the startup versus when you have the same title but you are a larger organization, let's say 500 plus employees? So
2: it depends. and That's usually the answer for most product things, right? It, it depends. At the companies I've been with, uh, there has been a very less emphasis in the product organization than in the software or in the organization. In software engineering, if you were a one or a two or a manager or a lead, it was very, very well defined. In a lot of the product organizations I've been in, we just call it, you were in product, or you were a product manager. And so uh, some of them have had some process around, oh, well, you're a senior, you're a director. And director usually meant you were having uh, other product managers under you, but not necessarily always. It seems that in general, the companies I've worked for, product is, is product and, and we just, we don't really care about the title as much as software engineering, where it was much more formalized and there was much more specific career path. So would you get a director of product management position at a startup? Sure, because they, they're not giving you cash, they're giving you some paper that might be worth something, so here, have a title, right? Uh, will that translate over to Google? It may, but it, it may not. And uh, at the companies I've worked for, it didn't really matter that much. It was more about, you know, what were you executing? What were you getting done? And the, the title was uh, less less important. Any comment?
3: I have no comment. Yeah, I mean, is this not, yeah, um, I, I would say that one of the, the biggest differences, you know, like you say, at startups, you'll, you'll get the head of product like myself at my, my current place which at the end of the day doesn't really mean anything because you're the only product guy. Um, The one difference, though, I feel like when you're at a really small company or startup, what that does bring often is that you get a chance to, to be involved in strategy, roadmap, vision and a lot of other things that are more, you know, higher level that typically more executives or other people are talking about, as well as all the way down to, yeah, I'm writing JIRA tickets and (laughs) wireframing and doing all these other things because you're the only product guy. And so you're, you're wearing every hat. You're doing all of that. At a larger organization, especially at a place like Amazon or even at GoPro, once we got, you know, a certain size... Your, you know, it, it shifts, you know, you're no longer the guy writing, you know, if you're a director or a senior director or a VP or something like that, you're no longer writing those Jira tickets, you're no longer dealing with that. You're actually mani- spending half of your time, if not a lot more, in meetings managing the executive team and dealing with their vision and their strategy and their direction and road mapping that and then trying to hand that off to your team that is then going to go execute on on those things. And you're you're spending a lot of your time, you know, on that side of the house as opposed to closer to the product, closer to the the customer as much. Um, and then if you're a really big organization like Amazon, if you're a VP, like you're you're even higher up. You're even more disconnected, I think, in some ways from the product, and more just about, hey, here's the really big high level vision. Let's go do that, you know, and and and. Managing maybe with the organization and what the organization looks like or the structure of the organization, but beyond that, you're not really involved in product
1: as much. Um, the title So I'm the only product manager in my company as well. The other product person is the CEO, um, Damian. So it's so it's. I mean, I gave myself lead product manager because I'm the only product manager on the team. So besides the CEO, so uh, it's. I mean, yeah, it really does come down to a startup. I mean, we're less than 60, 70 people right now. Um, in this particular office in Revit City, I'm the only product person in the room. So I love when the Damien's like, in the product in the product team, and I'm like, you're looking at it. it's It's freaking me. So uh, it, it's it's... But I answer the door. I, you know, it's not just in terms of responsibilities working at a small company, I mean, you do everything. You do stuff that you didn't think you were going to be doing or it's not supposed to do. And when it gets, eventually gets larger and larger, then those responsibilities get passed down and you are the senior person who's been there for two and a half years and, and you kind of, your, your roles and responsibilities change. So once we keep growing and, and our other offices expand, my role will, probably move up, and then someone else will take over some of the stuff I was doing, like creating JIRA tickets or um, managing meetings, and I'll be you know, speaking to the board, or I'll be working with the executive on their vision. So, yeah, it really changes. It,
0: it, that's, that's a really good point, because sometimes you know, we talk about strategy and tactic, and it seems like as the product manager, you are the ultimate visionary who is defining the strategy. But the reality is that when you are in a small company, there's not much strategy, and if there is any, it's usually the CEO who is, who is working on that. So... You, and at the same time, I've seen a lot of folks at work at Google, Facebook, very senior, that they say product at Facebook or product at Google, to your point. And they're totally fine with that. They're beyond that ego phase and they just build cool stuff and don't need to show off and say, I'm the product lead at you know, my own blog. So that, that's a very interesting point. I, I also want to touch upon hyper growth. You mentioned that, of course, as your companies grow, there's going to be some shuffling on the, on the org. And some of you have been in hyper-growth stage in certain companies. So I want to understand how that affected you and your org as the company was in a pace where it's like, like no, we're not going to hire one person per month. We may need to hire hundreds of people per year. Yeah, so 8x8 eight
2: eight is going through that right now. We, When I joined, we were at 800 people. We'll probably be at 2,000 in like 12 months or maybe a little bit past that. So what happens in that phase is that you're really proud that you have three times less employees than your, than your competitor. Uh, however, that affects kind of the process, and it kind of affects uh, the day-to-day uh, job that you're working on. And so this is actually uh, applicable for any of you that are looking for positions out there. Find those companies that are going through that phase, because what it means is that I'm really doing three people's jobs. So figure out where that's happening and solve their problem get in there and say, if I'm having to do the vision and I'm having to do the day-to-day road mapping and I'm having to write tickets, maybe I want someone to help me write some tickets. And as, as those start to get uh, cleaved off, that's where the job opportunities really can come from.
3: Yeah, I mean, there's def- I think the biggest challenge with that, you know, because we went through that at GoPro. I joined uh, a year prior to the, the IPO, and I think we were like 500 people at that time. And then within a year or so, we we tripled and then, you know, kept growing beyond that. And the biggest challenge at first was we were in the small, you know, a smaller space. I knew everybody. You could communicate super easy to everybody in the room. We're all talking. And we all had a, a simple platform that we could communicate. You know, we used uh, HipChat at the time, I think. And, you know, before Slack got really popular. But... Um, you know, then all of a sudden it, it grew so fast. We had teams spread out across different offices. And we had different teams that we had to deal with. So the communication challenges just skyrocketed. And then people were on different platforms. You know, some people are like, hey, let's use Slack. Well, wait, we're still on this other thing. And now the communication problems just got exacerbated drastically. And that's one of the biggest challenges is just getting everyone organized and on the same page. And, you know, it, that is one of the pain points, I think, as a product person because you have to make sure everyone's aligned. You have to make sure everyone understands your products. And so you're constantly over communicating things to make sure that everyone in the organization is clear about what
0: it is that you're working on. Um, so that's definitely a big challenge there. I-, I want to follow up on that because it's very important. When you are a, being a good product manager at an organization of, let's say, hundred to five hundred people doesn't mean that it's going to make you a good product manager at an organization of two thousand people. So mm-hmm. What are some of the skill sets that you felt like you had to learn to be able to continue growing at the same pace as, as your company? For, for for Matt, I have another question, which is kind of like the, the opposite. You know, like you worked at a huge organization like Google and probably you face some of these communication problems and so on, and then you magically become the lead PM at a two people organization. So at the same time you also have to understand, okay what are some of those hard skills that probably you need to learn because you can't really ask for much help, right? Yeah. So I want to understand both perspectives. So This is
2: one of your trick questions you were talking about then. So uh, a couple of points there. One, when you're looking at those kinds of situations where you know that you're grow the company is growing and you still need to deliver a lot of things, I think one of the things to really focus on, and this was talked about, I think it was uh, Tall that was talking about it yesterday, is the team. Is my team successful? And, and actually it might not have been her, so I apologize if I got the wrong person. But focus on the team, building the team, getting the team productive, getting the team motivated and getting stuff shipped. Get stuff out of there. Then as you start growing and you're, you're starting to look at more of the strategy, then you shift to the earlier in the day conversation about communication and psychology. Make sure that you're focusing more on how you're presenting the information, not just building the team. And team building, I'm going to be brutally honest with you. I'm going to tell you all the warts and everything. But there's a disadvantage in doing that when the company is larger because it's highlighting things that aren't necessarily needed to be highlighted in that venue. And so you can be a lot more tactical. You can make sure that you have your presentations after lunch instead of this one right before lunch. You can make sure that you highlight the, the topic as a win and not start talking about negative things. All those kinds of psychology things that were talked about yesterday really help you be a more effective senior leader rather than just a tactical get stuff built um, product
0: manager. Anyone else? So what about uh, you, Matt? What kind of had to learn on the other side going from a Google to a startup?
1: Um, you, You do a, well, and I gave a talk here oh, about a year ago, working at a startup versus a large company. And the the great thing about working at a, a large company is you have the resources, you have you know the you, a lot of people to do a lot of different things. At a startup, you're you're doing a, a lot of it. So I, um, it, I just found myself doing a lot more, working more hours. I wasn't leaving at four uh, like I was at Google. Um, you're staying till eight. You know, you just you're. It, it really goes back to the team. I, I. Working in a small company, like, you have to really build up your team. So I know my friend end my back and my QA are all, we all know what the mission is. Because it, this, the other thing about a small company is, I could just talk forever. Uh, <laughs> a, a small company is, you, you are really the one to explain to the engineers why you're doing something. Uh, it is small company. They oftentimes are just completely disconnected from the customer, especially with multiple offices. So we have an office here in Vegas, or not here in Vegas, but we have an office here. We have one in Vegas, and we have one in um, in Salt Lake City. So it's it, you have to, in all, pretty much all everyone that deals with the customer is all based in Salt Lake City. So. All the engineers, the engineering team here doesn't know what the customer's issues or problems are. So you're really the mouthpiece to let the engineers know, like, hey, we're going to re- revise this login screen. Or we're having issues with password, or, you know, whatever resets. And so that was something that I was not used to um, working at a large company where you're kind of just the one that says, like, oh, this is an issue. Like, deal with it, um, depending on what product I was working on at Google. Um, so it's it's... It, it's just, it's taking a lot more responsibility was the biggest one for me. Um, and, yeah, does that answer your question? <laughs> so of course, I'm and, missing.
0: No, there's obviously pros and, and cons and there's no, like, a uh, answer that solves all the problems. I, I, some people will be feel more comfortable in startup environment. Some people will be more for, comfortable in a larger organization. But I also want to talk about the dark side of product management, right? Like we are all talking about how awesome Ooh. we all are and how amazing this is and we have thousands of people watching us online thinking that we are geniuses figuring things out and, Poor engineers are coding in the room. Uh, I also want to know what are the unsexy parts of your job as a product manager that you know you wish like you didn't have to do and and you know to show the other side to show reality because you know like, we are not always wearing blazers and giving talks. We're also grinding with engineers, designers, and marketers all day long.
1: Uh-huh. Um, it's going to sound really harsh, but no one knows what they're doing. That, that was the biggest one that I came into is like. And it sounds like stupidly, but it really everyone is just taking their best shot at like, is this going to work? Like, So you're really, you, you look at your competitors, you look and see what they're doing, you look at your customers and what their needs are, and then you're just kind of going for it. And you're like, fingers crossed. And then making changes. I mean, it was what we said earlier. It's you do something and then it's that's it's never going to look like that again like you're going to change that something else is going to happen or you you didn't take this third thing into consideration so you're going to have to go back and redo everything you did beforehand so like for a part of our product it was uh, uh I don't want to go into what we do but we take we take i 'm like selling banjo now we 're taking social and non social signals and then breaking news, so like breaking news we 're the often the ones that know about that um, before anyone else and we are our customers are media uh, com- media companies basically, um, so I built something very expansive going over like you know you could be able to edit your templates and to take stuff on air and you have all these options and I built it and then come to find out that the fucking customers did not want to edit anything. They just wanted to be able to select a template and go. Like, they didn't have time to do all the cool shit that I thought I was going to be able to do. So it's like, and you have to just pay, take it in stride. Like, it was cool, like, I'm happy I did it, and it looks great, and I learned something, but the customers didn't really like it, and, and they didn't really have time for it, and I'm like, okay, and then you just kind of say, okay, moving on, and on to the next thing, so that was the biggest, you can't really get to, it kind of ties together, you don't really, can't get really too invested in something, because then it could just go to shit, and oftentimes it will, and then you'll have to find something else, and make a piece of shit, and then push that out, so it, it's really just changing all the time, like, going into work one day, and saying, like, okay, who's here? who got let go, what are my resources like, what do I have to get out, what's our deadline, when's the board meeting, like, these are, like, every fucking day, you have to go, and that's, like, the unglamorous fucking part of that, this, is you go and you like, what's going to happen today, and how can I make this shit work, and that's really, that's, that's the dark side of product management, that people will tell you, but you have to get a couple drinks in them first.
2: <laughs> yes, uh, I, I agree with, uh, with all of that. Uh. I don't know if it's that dark. I mean, you have to love change. I love product management. I love change. I love showing up and not knowing what I'm going to be working on today. Uh, at 8 p.m., that love starts to dwane a bit. Because the other side of, of it, if you want to call it a dark side, is that there's, there's no giving up, right? If there's six more things that have to be done, they have to be done. There isn't, there's no more person you can escalate to. It's you. You have to do it, whether it's... Washing the dishes, or doing the jiras, or creating the roadmap, or sending that email out to the e-staff—it uh, stops with you. The buck stops with you. I mean, what Dan was saying is that you know you, the uh, the Spider-Man uh, theme is, is is you know perfect on there. You know all of this stuff, and and no none of the the glory. I mean, you do get the glory, and you do get the satisfaction. It's always a learning environment, uh, but it's not in the the typical sense that you would you would think of.
3: Yeah, there's definitely, I mean, I agree with a lot of, all of that pretty much. I think one, one, one thing in particular for me, when I got uh, to GoPro, you know, I became, you know, you know, I was managing a team of, of nine product managers and, you know, there's a lot of unknown variation that happens at the executive level and someone actually had a really good quote, you know, do you want to be a shit umbrella or do you want to be a shit funnel? And so do you want to pass all that, you know, unknown variability, you know, craziness that happens at that level down to your team? Or do you want to actually protect them and, and absorb all that yourself and let them get their job done and actually make progress? And that, you know, dealing with that is not fun. It's not sexy. It's painful in many ways. But you you know if you want your team to be successful you want them to actually you know deliver product you want them to go out there and be, be able to do that, you have to take that on and it, it's a challenge at times you know because
0: there's craziness that happens at that level <laughs> um, you're very right and I, I want to dig a little bit deeper into this. We have time. This is just the last question, so I want another painful question for all of you, uh, which is about working with remote teams, uh, especially when you are in a large organization or with your teams are in multiple locations, and not just different locations, different time zones. We all know this is hard, but at the same time, we all know there is a possibility to make it work. So I would like to know your experience, first of all, and, and what are some of the Tips like tactical tips that you think that someone could apply to try to make it work. And I know that it might not work, but at least I want to get tactical in this in this answer.
3: Yeah, so I think a lot of it has to do with how the culture of the company evolved in the beginning. I, when I did my startup, I moved up here, and everybody, everyone on the team in the beginning was remote. We were spread out, and we were in Texas. We were here. We were um, in San Diego. We're different places, but we started out that way, and so we picked the tools that accommodated us to operate that way. And that made a huge difference because if you start out that way, it's super easy to do. Now, when you go into a larger organization, so like I was saying at GoPro and even at Amazon, you know, we had offices here. We had offices in in the case of Amazon up in Seattle. At GoPro, we had San Diego. We had San Francisco and we had San Mateo. And the culture wasn't at least at GoPro especially, it wasn't started, it didn't start out that way. It was all in one little tiny office and everyone was in the same place. But all of a sudden now you have multiple locations working on multiple different things. And so it was a, it was a challenge. One thing that we did do at Amazon that we tried to bring to GoPro as well that was successful was we actually set up a real-time feed between the two offices with big monitors and cameras there so that is like you're walking into the kitchen and you can have a conversation if someone was there as well and you know keep that kind of onsta- constant ongoing you know feel of like hey the offices aren't that far apart from each other that helps i mean it's still a challenge and so i was still on a plane <laughs> to San Diego or to Seattle on a regular basis but you know anything you can do to make it feel like they're not as far apart now in the case of different time zones i mean i've dealt with China a lot, you know, doing hardware, because that's just the nature of the business, because um, most is made there. I mean, th- the reality of the situation is you're on calls late in the evening here, typically, because that's their morning over there. And, you know, you just get used to that routine of communication. And then, I think, over-communicating, again, one thing I've learned is, like, just written documentation is not enough. You have to actually, you know, use... Visual aids or prototypes or anything you can to help communicate what you're trying to convey to someone else the more you can do that the more that helps them understand um, That helps a lot
2: So I've had teams in China India and, and all over the world I had a startup with 11 people in, in nine countries at one time and currently I have a team in Romania that is really part of the company. And so the communication is the key there. It's it's always easy to forget to keep them in the loop on everything. So you really have to over-communicate. Uh, but it's de- it's really dependent on not just your company culture, but the culture of the remote team. So I had these great guys in Estonia that I would call up at 11 o'clock at night and th- I'd say, hey, build me a widget. And they would say, what color? And then I'd come in the morning and be three different kinds of, of green widget, you know. They they would just do it. Uh, And then I've had other teams in other parts of the the world where if I didn't have a JIRA with the design, with the red lines, with every use case and the test cases pre-filled out, they were able to misspell the word like connected so it you have to understand the team that you're working with and what the expectations are what their culture is uh, how are they going to measure their own success and and work with them as as part of the the team and not just oh well they're remote so i'm just going to give them a certain amount of information some teams do better with more information some teams don't need it and but the, the ubiquity is that communication you, you almost always under communicate to, to those external teams
1: I'm like the negative guy. I feel like I'm going to say something negative now. But I love what I do. Just to go back to my previous one, I wouldn't keep doing it if I didn't love it. Uh, <laughs> in terms of communication, my uh, where I'm at now, we have a couple different offices uh, to kind of to uh, piggyback what these guys are saying, we do have a live feed of all three offices of our Vegas office as well as our Park City office. Particularly for engineers, uh, if they have questions about, you know, a junior, you know, a junior front end is in, you know, Park City, and the manager uh, is here in, in Redwood City. Like, if they can just quickly go over to the, you know, whatever. And We use Slack as well as a big one for us. We do scrums every morning, so I just want them to feel like I'm there. I think a big, uh, a big part is actually going there in person, in presence, whether they come to you or you go to them. We have a, a policy that everyone, every new person that starts comes to this office here in, in Rabbit City um, because they, then they can meet a majority of the engineering team uh, since the majority of the business side is all in Park City. Um, so it just, they can meet everyone. So if you, it's nice to, if you Slack someone, you have a visual image of what they look like. And like the last conversation you had, like, oh, I'm going to talk to Max. Like last time I talked to him was about CrossFit or whatever it was. So you can kind of build a relationship. So if you have questions or asks of them later down the road, you have like a, a, something concrete to base your question off of. And they're more willing to help you or work with you on something instead of be against you. Like, I don't know who you are. Um, like I only hear from you when you want something, um, is a big uh, is a big part for uh, the Park City office. My last company, we had an office in Boise, we had one in Mexico City, Singapore. So it was a little bit more remote, um, and it was a disaster, uh, which is why I left. But the, the, the part that that it was all very segregated. Like there was the, the the Mexico team was doing just customer service, the Singapore team was just sales, so there really was no fluidity among the teams. So I think just really oversharing um, is the biggest one, and communications across the teams.
0: All right. Well thank you so much for your time. This was this was great. Let's give it up for Chris, Fred and Matt.